You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 30. We have another busy show planned for you this week. We start off by looking at some stats just released by the IMF, or International Monetary Fund, their revised outlook for the global economy for the remainder of 2017 and into 2018. We then talk about what a tough time it has been for some Canadian investors over the first seven months of 2017. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a question from a listener about newly listed Canadian small cap, Good Food Market Corp. Symbol FOOD on the TSX, a leader in the emerging Canadian meal kit market. Is it a buy, sell, or hold at present? Our star of the week is Scientific Games Corporation, SGMS on the NASDAQ, which develops and manufactures gaming and lottery machines. The stock jumped over 40% this week after reporting better than expected numbers. Finally, our dog of the week is Twitter, symbol TWTR on the New York Stock Exchange, which dropped 14% today alone on the heels of disappointing set of second quarter numbers. Hashtag the stock takes it on the chin. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. Now let's dig into the show. I would again like to welcome my co-host, Keystone's senior equity analyst, a father of one, and a man who is rumored to be sending out his first tweet this week, via Twitter, hashtag love the service, not the stock. Mr. Aaron Dunn, I welcome you. Hello, Ryan. How are you today? I'm excellent. Excellent. Good, uh, good. Busy, busy week in the middle of the summer for the I markets, bet. though. So we're gonna we're gonna start here by taking a look at the at the global economic picture, which which for people that know Keystone well, they know that we focus primarily on individual companies. But we're gonna uh, we're going to take a look at what uh, what the IMF has just actually put out because I think there's some in- interesting information here that we can talk about. So the the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, just just released their revised outlook for the global economy for the remainder of 2017 and 2018. Overall, the IMF is expecting global economic growth of 3.5% in 2017 and 3.6% in 2018. So these expectations actually haven't changed, but what has changed is where they think the growth is coming from. The projection for the U.S. is lower. Um, they're, they're expecting lower growth in the U.S. than they were previously. And this, this reflects an assumption that fiscal policy is going to be less expansionary than was promised by the current administration. We, in, As part of the election campaign, the, the current administration obviously has been promising or had been promising large tax cuts as well as major fiscal stimulus spending and now it looks like the the market is less confident that they're going to actually be able to follow through on that Um, but growth was revised upwards in the european union japan and china and canada as well and as and this is where it gets interesting canada is actually expected to lead the g7 nations in economic growth for 2017 at 2.5 percent so this is interesting, declining expectations for the U.S. and an improving outlook in Canada. And we've seen that as well with, with recent interest rate decisions. The Bank of Canada just recently increasing the rate um, 25 basis points. And then the U.S. Fed standing pat and not increasing. Um, so obviously, 
obviously big job numbers are are pushing some of this economic growth we've we've seen big job numbers recently and the most recent report was in may so almost 50,000 new jobs created and this was this was 77,000 this was driven by 77,000 new full-time jobs which were offset by a decline in part-time jobs and this is this has been this has been a, a criticism of the canadian job numbers quite repeatedly over the last couple of years is that they seem to be more more there seem to be more more part-time jobs created as opposed to full-time jobs and then a lot of people a lot of people believe that 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 does not paint a good picture for the for the employment situation here in canada but um recently we've also in in addition to job growth we also have wage rate increases about 1.3 percent in may so this is this is something that that i think we have to talk about because a lot of people are are expecting interest rates to continue to increase with these large numbers but i know ryan you you've had some interesting things to say about that in the past so what's uh, what's your take well for me some of the highlights that come out of those stats are canada expecting to lead the g7 uh, at a growth rate of around 2.5 percent Let's step back and say that is not a huge figure, historically speaking. And I mean, I would say, and we can see in the numbers, the economic growth is not translating into returns in the Canadian stock market. And it, it often doesn't, the, the two don't run hand in hand at all times. But we're certainly not seeing gains in, in the Canadian markets. Whereas we're seeing, you know, if you look at the major US indexes, indices this year, you're looking at gains of eight to twenty percent, whereas the TSX, like I said, is down on the year, um, and it it's kind of been a, a tough year, like I was saying, for Canadian investors because I mean you've seen many investors who saw tremendous gains in the U.S. last year went chasing those returns to start this year, and um, they allocated more funds to the U.S. market, and we've watched a strengthening loony wash out many of those gains. So it's it's like I said, it's been a tough year. But the numbers that you were talking about there, uh, interesting. I believe the first half of this year uh, for the Canadian markets, in my estimation, is stronger than perhaps what we'll see in the second half of this year, due to some slowdown in housing and due to uh, the uh, a slowdown again in the in the energy sector, which I believe uh, will start to show up near the end of the year. Well, it's interesting you say that because the IMF is actually forecasting 1.9% growth next year. So they as well are forecasting less growth. Likely that may show up in, in the latter half of this year, but certainly going into next year. Yeah, and, and I think that, that that's what you're seeing in businesses out there in the Canadian economy it, it bears out in the facts going forward or in those projections going forward from the IMF. Um, a slowing Canadian economy going into next year. That is why, like we were talking about last week, when uh, Canada is looking to raise rates potentially now twice this year, um, for me, I don't want to see uh, I don't want to see the brakes be put on the economy. That really, even at two point five percent, yes, it's leading the G seven, projected to lead the G seven this year. But historically, that is not a rate that. Uh, you know, is, it's not a, a rate that's producing tremendous growth. So uh, I think the Canadian economy and I think further rate hikes really, particularly the second one this year, aren't necessary. Well, right now, the the currency exchange with the U.S. is about is about 80 cents on the dollar, up from just over 70 cents 
um, just just back in May. So a big increase really quickly. And you have to wonder, you know, part, part of these job numbers is manufacturing um, during May added 25,000 jobs. That was a sector that was very embattled at 43,000 jobs in that in that space so far since the start of the year. So that sector, although those numbers aren't phenomenal by any by any stretch of the imagination, but that sector had expected people had expected that sector to benefit from the from the from the lower loony. Likely it did, or or it started, or it started to anyways. But now at eighty cents, and then potentially if we see another rate increase, you know, eighty five cents, how competitive can we be um, as, as an exporter? Yeah, and and I think many people don't understand that it takes years uh, of a lower dollar for a manufacturing sector to start to dedicate the capital that is necessary to really create jobs in that segment. Even if, you know, when the loony comes down over the course of a year, comes down from a dollar to 80 to getting down to the lows in the 70s to, to, uh, to high 60s, when it got to those rates, the, the, there's not a switch that's just flipped automatically and, and companies commit capital. They have to see those rates as sustainable in that range uh, that give them a competitive advantage for a... Uh, for a, a long runway going forward. And uh, you're starting to see that uptick in those manufacturing jobs. However, if they get kicked in the teeth uh, by, by an increase, and, and quite an unexpected increase, I would add, in the Canadian dollar, uh, some of those dollars may start to pull back. Now, I think that, uh, I think that the, the strength of the Canadian dollar is overdone. We're not by new, no means experts in that area. We don't do currency valuation. But uh, what we see and what you see in the Canadian economy was strength in housing, driving a lot of jobs, st strength to start in the air or more of a rebound, almost a dead cat bounce in energy, uh, driving some job numbers up there. Uh, for us, both of those slow and in the second half of this year and in potentially going into next year, no need for a rate hike, another rate hike increase in our opinion, in my opinion. Well, I, I would agree with you 100%. If we, yeah. if we increase... I don't want to put words in your mouth, right? So, <laughs> I, I would agree. If, if we increase rates, if we keep increasing rates ahead of the United States, that's just going to elevate our currency relative to the U.S. dollar further. And it's, it's, it's going to absolutely, I, I would expect, put the brakes on the economic growth we've seen. Another thing that, that I, I also wonder is the $28 billion federal budget deficit. How much is that contributing? And yeah. that is not a sustainable source of, of economic growth, as I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, and, and we've talked about that in the past. It's, uh, at some point, balancing a budget is, is, is something in the cards. And for somebody who has said about a budget balances itself, uh, it doesn't bode well for a balanced budget over the course of the next three to four years. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, i got to tell you, Ryan, I'm hungry right now. And I hear that you have a, a stock that has something to do with food. We need some good food. I know it is. It is around. We're recording this around lunchtime here. So yeah. Um, in our your stock our take segment, I'm going to thank a client actually sent in a question on a recently listed Canadian or uh, TSX listed company. It's called Good Food Market Corp. Symbol is F F or F O O D. Just food. Easy to remember on the TSX. They are a leader in the Canadian meal kit industry. Uh, so you might ask, what the heck's a meal kit? How does it work? Well, Good Food creates these original recipes via, via their in-house culinary team. 
Now you go on their website and choose your preferences. Do you like meat, chicken? Do you like vegan, veggies? Do you like spicy, not spicy? It's, it's quite a, uh, an in-depth process, but easy to do. And you, you get a variety of healthy or delicious meals sent to you each week. Now these, they deliver them for free. The package isn't free for sure, but they deliver it for free. And the ingredients are packaged in a refrigerated box so the food stays fresh even when you're not home. So if it's sitting on your doorstep there, it doesn't cook itself in the sun. It's refrigerated. Now, you cook the meals at home, so they're not prepared for you. Uh, and they, but they take around 30 minutes, which is relatively reasonable. And I, I looked on their site. A family package for a week cost about $78. There's a, a sale on there now. It sounds like we're selling it right now. But there's a sale on there right now. You can get and try a basket for less. Good food just went public. The company recently went public and raised $21 million from a private placement at around $2, which is significantly above where it's trading right now. I think today it's closed at $1.40, $1.45 in that range. Uh, They recently put out their third quarter and nine-month results. So how are they doing? Well, active subscribers, subscribers to that service, reached 23,000 in Canada as at May 31st. That's up from 2,300 at the end of the third quarter of 2016. So year over year, tremendous growth. During the quarter, they added 10,000 new subscribers to their meal kit service. It's an increase of 77% from uh, the end of the second quarter, which is tremendous growth there. Revenues jumped more than fivefold to 6.4 million and are up around 12.3 million year to date. Gross margins improved to 21% from kind of a paltry 12.8% in the same period of last year. This is the management's outlook we looked up. Uh, They said the meal kit subscription service industry has been one of the fastest growing industries worldwide, Uh, but we believe it's evolving and remains, it's relatively new in Canada. Good Food believes that there are significant opportunities to rapidly grow its subscription base by continuing to invest in highly targeted marketing campaigns, capacity expansion, and establishing a national platform. The company grows its subscriber base. It is confident it can achieve economies of scale, which will lead to further improvements in gross margins, which is what it'll need to actually achieve profitability. Now, the big question for us is obviously, will this uptick in subscriber base and gross margins eventually lead to profitability and a cash-producing business? The company is reducing to a degree its loss, which is on the right track, but it's not close to that mark or profitability yet. They lost 1.2 million in the last quarter and over 6 million year to date. Uh, With that promising or that promised marketing spend uh, to increase its subscriber base, it may move farther away from cash flow positive in the near term. So, um, Right now, we also see competition as a big concern. Now, Amazon, obviously the biggest of the big in retail is looming. In a July 6th trademark application, Amazon revealed it is planning a to prepare or enter this market. Essentially, not I'm saying the Canadian market, but the meal kit market generally. Uh, now, they are looking to sell prepared food kits. This is what it said in the, the release of meat, poultry, fish, seafood, fruit, and vegetables, ready for cooking and assembling as a meal. The product's tagline will be, we do the prep, you be the chef. So those are essentially meal kits. It's entering that market. They already, Amazon already sells 
other companies' meal kits. Tyson Foods is in the market. Um, Martha Stewart is even offering meal kits on Amazon Fresh, the company's grocery delivery service. So there is competition here, although less so in Canada. Now, our take, the growth at Good Food has been impressive, and the company appears to be carving out a niche in the Canadian meal kit market. Perhaps it even becomes a takeover target for a larger entry, but we're not sure if the entry would actually need Good Food unless they just wanted quick access to a larger subscriber base. But the company could get squashed really like a cockroach in what is becoming a very competitive segment. The stock is interesting. It lacks cash flow currently, though, and that prevents us from checking off one of our most important boxes. We will monitor it, but today we remain on the sidelines until it proves the model can produce profitability. We note that a big U.S. competitor in the space, Blue Apron, symbol APRN, recently IPO'd, and the looming Amazon shadow of late is now have it, has it now trading 30% below its IPO price. So there's a competitor that went public and uh, has not done well as of yet. Yeah, the, the, the big issue to me, like you said, Ryan, is profitability. Because if you if you do a Google search on on food delivery services like this, particularly in the US, but also in Canada, just dozens and dozens of names come up. And it also seems like they go out of business as, as fast as they come to the market. It's been a really tough I personally love the idea, being a busy professional, to just have your, your meals delivered to you. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's proven to be a very tough business to actually turn a profit in. And I don't think that anybody, I don't think that any company has actually demonstrated the economic viability of this business by actually turning a profit. I mean, if you think of just getting your meals delivered from a restaurant, they'll, they'll usually have a, you know, a, a five kilometer or 10 kilometer radius that they'll deliver in particularly for the reason that they don't want to have to drive 20 minutes just to give you your food. And that might be the issue with these with these meal delivery services right now is that if you've got you have them set up in a city, uh, they, they essentially have to from, you know, one distribution center, presumably have to reach out to a, a wide, a wide geographic region. Yeah, I'd agree. And I mean, even the biggest of big, even Amazon got into meal delivery space. Now, this was prior to the, this is way back now, prior to the dot-com boom. And uh, they bought a company back at that time. And, and it, even with the funding there, it went bankrupt. So uh, they're getting into the game again. It looks like uh, probably far better uh, positioned with the distribution. But it's it would, for me, it'd be all about that expiring inventory and uh, getting the right distribution, uh, may, perhaps Amazon can do it. They can certainly lose a lot of money doing it to start and, and afford to do that. Can a company in the market like Good Food uh, continue to lose money? It's all about eventually it has to be about profitability and they have to run out of profit unless you're just looking to make a score of this company getting bought. Uh, we want the cash flow and then have the upside potentially of a company getting bought. It may be attractive to a suitor who wants to enter the Canadian market, but uh, for us to be an investor, we need some current cash flow, and it's not there. Certainly an interesting name. Subscriber growth looks good, but uh, not investing at this stage. Now we're going to look at our uh, dog of the week. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's dog. And Aaron's going to take that. It's uh, Twitter. Twitter, yes. A company that needs no introduction, especially if you were following the U.S. presidential election. 
uh, Twitter, TWTR, the stock was down almost 14% today on poor Q2 results. It's down 18% on the week. So this the, the decline was mainly an issue with the company's inability to grow average monthly active users, which were 68 million in the second quarter compared to 70 million in the first quarter of the year. So average monthly active users is the key metric that the market is using to evaluate the performance of this company, as well as other social media companies as well. There, there was even some concern that if Twitter couldn't grow its, its, its active user base with all of the publicity that it's getting from Donald Trump's tweets um, and the U.S. election, then, then it's really, they're really, if they can't grow their, their user base with that, then it's going to be very difficult for them to find a way to do it. And financially, the story doesn't look that much better, at least from our perspective. The company posted second quarter revenue of $574 million, a decrease of 5% year over year. And also a, a quarterly net loss of 116 million compared to a net loss of 107 million in the same quarter last year. So this company, in spite of being a social media giant, has yet to actually turn a profit. They do claim eight cents in earnings on an adjusted basis, which which beat analyst consensus estimates of five cents for the quarter, but obviously not enough for the market. And you know, it, it's been it's been an incredibly volatile stock. That the share price was actually up 40 percent from April. Um, just uh, just before this week started, and it absolutely got clobbered this week with with the Q2 results. So, it definitely is deserving of the the title of dog of the week. Agreed. Um, and again, like we said, love the service, but not the stock right now. So, um, you know, I think it's very useful service providing you know breaking news across the masses. But uh, if you're not going to increasing your numbers, and if there's no no real near-term path to sustainable profitability, uh, and the valuations are quite high on it still. So that makes it Twitter our dog of the week. Now and we're going to look at our you, Ron, star. You know, you're you're tweeting all day long too, so you know I can't if somebody stop like tweeting. you can't it's get true. behind them. I can't <laughs> stop tweeting. Honestly, our our marketing department they are constantly on us to set up a Twitter account. But I don't. Th- you don't have a Twitter account, right, Aaron? I do not. Like no. you, you don't. Tw- no, no, we we both don't. Uh, we probably should. We're dinosaurs. Maybe at some point. Yeah, we'll and we'll start to get into the Twitterverse more. But by that time, it'll probably the the company will probably be dead. But I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it'll stick around. It's a useful service, but it's not a stock we're buying right now. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. Now, our star of the week on the flip side is Scientific Games Corporation, a company that many of uh, investors out there have probably never heard about. SGMS on the NASDAQ. They are a leading developer of technology-based products. Uh, the company's portfolio consists of instant and draw-based lottery games, electronic gaming machines, game content, server-based lottery and gaming systems, sports betting technology, loyalty rewards programs, social mobile, interactive content services, and a number of other areas, but mainly within the gaming and, uh, and uh, gaming machine market. Now, the gains that we saw this week, on Monday of this week, the company was up as just under 25% after it reported its second quarter financial results. The next day, the shares rallied again, uh, it likely had to do with just those results. There was a report out there that an analyst that follows the stock, one of the only analysts, raised his price target, but we don't think that really would be driving the stock. 
The the numbers though that came in, Q2 revenue was up around 5% to 776 million or 766 million. Company still reported a loss though of 44 cents per share, but both metrics were better than analysts were expecting on average or that analyst was expecting on average. Um, now importantly, we saw the company has now posted seven quarters in a row of revenue growth. Last quarter, uh, its gains were driven by global machine sales, gaming systems, table products, and international gaming. Perhaps most importantly, free cash flow was up substantially in this past quarter. Now, that analyst upgrade, let's take a quick look at that. While the reports out there for the reason the company made such great gains this week was an upgrade helped drive the stock from an analyst, but we, we see it as more coincidental as the language of that report did not appear to make, make it really a table pounding buy. First off, the report raised the stock's target price to $35 from 25, while the stock now trades at $37, so it's actually below, the target is below the current price of the stock. Perhaps more importantly, the, the analyst just maintained his rating at hold, so he upped the target price significantly, but maintained it at hold, and it was a hold prior to that. So that is not really a table pounding buy. So now what for the stock? Improved earnings or, or revenue growth will going forward would be far more significant than any analyst price target on the stock. Keep in mind, though, analysts, there are a couple analysts out there covering it, one or two. They're still expecting the company to lose almost a dollar per share this coming year. There is some cash flow there, but it's still not hitting profitability. And the cash flow is more on an adjusted basis. That's a big reason to stay away from this lottery type stock or really taking a bet on this lottery type stock. Now, it's a turnaround story that's focused on some of the right things, restructuring debt and focusing on producing cash flow. But for us, with a market cap of around $3 billion and debt of $8 billion, the company participating it also participates in a gaming industry that's historically fraught with scandal which produces lower than average multiples on the stocks that trade in this segment we'd avoid the stock now i'm not saying this star could very well become next week's dog but we are not an investor in this stock today but with the 46 percent jump this week that makes this lottery company our star of the week aaron again i'd like to thank you for Thank you for uh, co-hosting again with me this week. That's going to conclude our show. Again, I'd like to remind all our listeners out there to send in your questions to, for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. You can tweet those to us at Keystocks or send them to us on Facebook or just email us the traditional route and we will answer those questions. Thank you again and profitable investing. Profitable investing.